This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that's not smart, but at least we're also not that handsome. It's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Fridays are available to download later in your podcast feed, unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Woo. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and he makes me wait till his heart rate is under 60 before starting the podcast. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. I wish I had a resting heart rate of under 60. Ahoy! Each week we'll chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. 54, my friend. I'm down to 54 uh, for my wow. resting heart rate. Uh, Everybody in my family has a super fast heart rate. It's yeah. genetic. Yeah. Like mid-80s. Wow! That's wild. That is that is yeah. a very high resting heart rate for most people. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's wild. Yeah, I think. And because, on top of that, I got a bipolar disorder, so, <laughs> so uh, the anxiety part probably. So the anxiety can kick a, that up to the high one twenties. Adds a few notches. Yes, I am a giant man, uh, and uh, also very laid back, uh, and also just started running again recently. Which I, actually, my my resting heart rate has dropped six. Uh, six beats in the last three weeks uh, from running. So, Hell yeah. Yeah, it'll happen. Happen that way. So, yeah. Good time. Good conversations about resting heart rates. That's what people came, <laughs> that's what people came here to, to, to listen to, for sure. You know uh, it. We're, no, we're going to talk about a couple of killer movies uh, this week. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon and The Killer, uh, both in... So much murder. <laughs> <laughs> so much murder. Uh, both are in theaters right now, and then will be on their relative streaming services here pretty shortly. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon going to end up on Apple TV+, Plus, uh, and The Killer going to end up on Netflix, um, but doing limited runs in theaters uh, currently. So, um, we're going to go ahead and, uh, still, yeah, chat about them. Still doing limited runs in theaters. Mm-hmm. I know, at first I thought it was, you know, a COVID thing, like a pandemic thing. 
but no, it seems like, you know, these streaming services, are, they're liking this idea of a limited release in theaters. Yeah, and some of it's awards-based, you know, making sure to get awards eligibility and those kind of things. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think there's there's a little bit of money to be made as well. So they're, they're probably mm-hmm. eager to do that. Uh, we're also going to do a Best Ever Challenge. Get this, Best Ever Killer Movies. That's right, movies with the word... <laughs> kill killer killing some form of the word kill in the title uh we will do that and of course we'll do some buried treasure uh, at the end uh no reason to dilly dally though andrew let's get into it let's kick it off with martin scorsese's latest killers of the flowered moon the osage took their name from missouri and osage rivers neukonska Children of the Middle Waters. Move, said the Great White Father. There are many, so many hungry wolves. Can you find the wolves in this picture? When oil is discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, I believe, was a book first. Uh, Martin Scorsese looked to adapt it into a screenplay or have someone adapt it into a screenplay. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, I believe, was originally slated to play the head of the FBI and went to Martin Scorsese and said, I think this is a little too FBI-centric. I think we need to be more Osage-centric. And so mm. they agreed on that and eventually gave us the script that we have and gave Martin Scorsese one of his first screenplay um, credits in a while because he wrote some of the revision on the new screenplay. So, yeah, I got Leo in there, uh, got uh, De Niro in his first ever Scorsese movie. It's nice to see those two working together finally. It's been, you know... Finally. Uh, <laughs> everybody's been wanting it uh, for a long time. It's good to see it finally happen. Um, yeah. And then uh, many, many others uh, stopping by as well. What did you think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? I really liked it. Mm. Close to loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. In fact, I'm going to say I loved it. Um, And I think that's because the negatives, uh, they just aren't enough to offset the incredible positives that I had uh, coming out of this movie. I will start by saying that the last three Scorsese movies, I believe, I believe, Silence, The Irishman, and then Killers of the Flower Moon. Those are the last three, right? I have loved yeah. all three of those movies. And I think there's something that he has like wrestled with and is finding a way in his movies to like mature in some interesting ways that appeal to me specifically. Um, I think he's understanding the ramifications of the violence a little bit more in the stories he's telling. Um, and it's, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting to see him as he, is he in his eighties or approaching his eighties? I know he's, he's, he's uh, in his eighties. Yeah. I think he's up there in the, you know, getting towards that Clint Eastwood territory. And I'm just so <laughs> So glad he's 
42 doing uh doing this um yeah if he was in 42 then then yes he is 81 um right now so yeah i'm i'm excited for uh all the time we have left with with marty and what he might bring us because i've really really enjoyed uh the last three outings and i think probably the biggest thing that puts me from like to love is lily gladstone and the portrayer of molly burkhart um there is something so uniquely steady about this performance that just speaks volumes and i left this movie moved by that character's stillness in the face of absolute torture and uh trauma and even that that character's i think there's some interesting conversations to be had about what is forgiveness what is grace what is love uh baby don't hurt me wait no is that how the song goes i don't know um uh (laughs) but there's a lot of interesting conversations to be had about that kind of stuff and i think a lot of that centers on the beauty of the lily gladstone uh performance so yeah i took a lot from this had a a lot of of really um interesting conversations with my wife after we watched it and uh was just just really excited to kind of process my way through it what about you what are some of your feelings i know you really liked it as well yeah well you know whenever i start off my first pro when it's not about a performance then it must be something really impressive (laughs) sure sure. so this week uh rodrigo pietro the director of photography for Mm. this film is who i am giving the mvp award (laughs) because this is an absolutely stunner of a film he's worked with scorsese a lot um i think he's been with scorsese at least I know all the way back till uh, Wolf of Wall Street, maybe even before. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, just an absolute gorgeous uh, film, and there's enough of it to be gorgeous. So yeah, I I think that a lot of people go into what you were talking about earlier with why you think that you possibly liked this film a little bit more than a lot of other mm-hmm. Scorsese. I think I have an idea why. Sure, and I think it's because I think people are going to appreciate Scorsese this film of his more because opposed to his other films, this one focuses more on the victims of violence rather than glorification that you would normally see in his other pieces of work. This yeah. one is all about victim mentality as opposed to a, a gang. This is still a gangster film. Don't get me wrong; all of his films are gangster films, but I think mm-hmm. that this one focuses more on the ramifications and the collateral damage of gang gang life than a lot of his other films do. Yeah, I think I always hesitate to use the word glorification with Scorsese because <laughs> that's it, why I did the air quotes, but yeah, I guess you can't see that no, on the no, podcast. No, I get, I get, <laughs> and I get it. I understand that for some people that's what they mean is like, oh, this makes violence look, you know, glorified. I it's not a glorification necessarily. It's that there's an there's an exuberance to it. There's an energy to it that is very easily and I feel intentionally interpreted as excitement, not um, sadness or trauma or, you know, those kind of things. And so I I know that's semantics in some ways, but I do like to distinguish because I don't think Scorsese's intent was ever to be like violence. Yay. You know, um, I just think his, his intent was to be uh, that he, to show the enthrallment in the gravity of 
the violent worlds, right? And how that can be uh, personified. Um, and I know that's a slight distinction, but it's one one I do like to make. Um, but I agree with you. The uh, the cinematography on this is outstanding. The um, the the way this movie captures things from the first shot to the last is so artistic. There are brilliant artistic decisions uh, made story-wise that I think are uh, interesting visually and um, structurally uh, as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting choices and work uh, being done in that way uh, in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I also want to give a a shout-out in uh, regards to that creativity with the movie's choice on how to end things um in this and and there's kind of a one-two punch so to speak of of endings one uh that involves a a cut to a completely different entertainment uh style at the end and then a like kind of a a coda with a drone shot that i just thought was lovely uh way to Mm -hmm. honor uh the ending but the the uh, the different um, entertainment styles, so to speak. I'm trying not to spoil. I'm trying to walk around spoilers. The penultimate ending. Yes, the penultimate uh, stuff. I found really bold and not capricious. Yeah. I I really felt like it was meaningful and specifically done as a way to say it is hard to tell these stories when it is not your own story. It is hard to, to tell these stories without feeling exploitative. And it was almost in some ways a mea culpa at the end from Scorsese himself to be able to say, I know I'm not necessarily the person who can tell this perfectly, but I had to tell this story. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a real Mm -hmm. interesting choice being made there that, that I think works. It reminded me a lot of, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, how Wes Anderson knows how to break things down to the story of it mm-hmm. all. Yes. And I think that that ending, that penultimate ending in this film, is Martin Scorsese's version of giving you and his idea. Of, it all comes down to the story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The way it was broken down from seeing an actual, you know, regular movie that you know we experienced for three hours and 10 minutes Mm -hmm. to automatically shift and be broken down like that it reminded me so much of what wes anderson was doing and that's not something i'd ever think i would say hey Mm -hmm. you you know what uh wes anderson reminds me of (laughs) martin scorsese (laughs) yeah yeah not often in the same sentence uh but yeah i can see what you're saying there um, I let's let's talk about a few of the other performances. Um, yeah, I think De Niro's great. I think DiCaprio's great. I don't think we would expect anything less. Like, I don't know that either of them yeah. blow my expectations out of the water, but my expectations are super high when I watch these people on film. So, um, that's mm-hmm. not really saying a lot. Uh, Jesse Plemons does continue to blow my expectations out of the water. I just, I, I love. You went toe to toe with DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And well, um, yeah. I'm just, I've been so impressed with his choices and his ability. I mentioned Lily Gladstone. I do think she's the best performance in in the film, um, yeah. doing amazing stuff. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's restrained her performance, yet at the same time, whenever there are emotional beats that she can just, she can tug at the heartstrings like in ways that I haven't felt in a very long time. It just felt so real and visceral. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we always, uh, in my acting class, we always did something called psychosomatic training mm-hmm. where you would, you know, imagine something and you would try and convince yourself over and over again it was real to help you really uh, immerse yourself into the scene or into your performance. And that is what that reminded me of. Like, I, she, not method acting, like, but maybe she did, but she drew upon something to make it seem so real. Like, every time she had to experience a loss, it was so uh genuine Mm -hmm. yeah just completely believable and and a real um counter point to the other energy of the movie right like her energy is such a counterpoint to uh the dicaprio or de niro performance and i just i think it works really really well and very much a counterpoint to the brandon fraser performance which is <laughs> i mean oh. does think the brandon fraser protests too much <laughs> it's, it's, it's so over the top like i'm still debating like is it good is it not good i kind of think it's not good but like it's i don't it's, think it's good <laughs> i don't think it's good i but want you know it to what? be good this is one of I those experiences i want it to be good <laughs> i do too Meet, yeah, <laughs> that was actually one of my cons I did write down. Like, I don't know if Brendan Fraser was being asked to do that, mm-hmm. to be that over the top, you or if that was just dumb his inter- boy, or boy, whatever, whatever he says. Yeah. yeah, you dumb boy. I mean, it, it may be based on the 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 way that lawyers of that time, you know, did their thing. I don't know. It just yeah. it it struck me as it struck me as less authentic than everything else that was going on around it and that that may just be my perspective. So um but anyway, well, everybody else was so restrained. And then here you have the Kool-Aid man kicking in the door. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, John Lithgow shows up for a cup of coffee as the opposing attorney, and mm-hmm. uh, that's always always good to see Lithgow on screen. Um, and any other performances you wanted to to mention aside from those? Uh, Lily Gladstone is the big one that I'm going to mention yeah. here. Uh, yeah, I, but I would probably also mention. Oh, sorry, uh, I was going to mention. What's where is he at? Louis Cancelmi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was a I know creepy, him from Billions. Dude. He's been on Billions for for a few seasons, and I, en- I enjoy okay. him on Billions. Yeah, never seen that show. Probably yeah. should. It's a lot of fun. I think you. I think you would enjoy it. It's the final season this season. So, okay. Yeah. There we go. Um, yeah, I thought he was great uh, in his matter of fact uh, sociopathy. Uh- <laughs> Cold. It was just yeah. Goosebump given. Uh, uh, Jason Isbell. Uh, who you may know as a musical artist, uh, I also found really compelling in this um, for whatever reason. Uh, and then a lot of the uh, the other actors, like Larry Sellers and um, and many of the other native actors, I, I just the the amount of gravitas they bring to those conversations. Uh, it's just it's so beautiful and so valuable. And I wanted to mention uh, mention them as well. Um, yeah, it was it's it's full of good performances. It's full of interesting moments. I think when you start to talk about negatives, one of the big ones for a lot of people will be the length of the film. Um it is long. I mean, it is 6 yeah. minutes shorter than The Irishman, so um you know. Oh. <laughs> so it can't be too long. Um yeah. in fact, in fact, the three movies I talked about are all three and a half hour movies. Silence is also Silence. Three. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think that's what Marty does now. He just he just doesn't want to edit as much. And far be it from me to tell Martin Scorsese how to make a film, 
but I do think it is a little bit too long. It's, it's that's just me. It's me. T- it's per. It's a personal preference. Yeah. And for it's me, one we both if you're share, gonna make though. a yeah, but for me, it's if you're gonna make a movie like this, it needs a little bit more intensity. It's why I can watch Gangs of New York, another Martin Scorsese movie that's over three hours long. I've seen the movie. I don't even know how many times. Over ten times. And it knows when to raise the tempo in the action and when to take its time. Killers of the Flower Moon is not Gangs in New York. It likes to take its time. It's a, I'd say a good portion of the film is just scenes of characters simply living in moments. Mm-hmm. And that's sure. beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. But in the end, you can't leave this film without having felt the runtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you don't you don't want the audience to feel it, and I think you do feel it, and I think even more specifically, and I, I often say if you're going to complain about how long something is, then you need to specifically talk about what could have been taken out because otherwise, you know, yes. you're you're if you liked everything that was in there, it, it's almost hypocritical to say it was too long, right? Um, I think there are a lot of things that Scorsese chooses to do here, and I think I get the intent of them, but he will. You know, you know the old saying, uh, show, don't tell? And the old, yeah. the old video saying, like, for exposition, for whatever, show, don't tell. Don't have characters just say it. Show us what happened. Scorsese does something in this movie that I like to call uh, tell, then show. And so there's a, there's a lot of repeating things that happen. So you will hear a character talk about what happened during a certain point or whatever. And mm. then an entire another scene will happen where you see it happen. And yeah. it's like, I don't know that I needed the tell if you were going to give me the show. Um, so, I, but again, I, I think I understand what he's attempting to do, but I do think that's part of what extends the movie uh, to be longer than, than it felt. This one felt like it needed to be um, in yeah. my opinion. So, so Yeah. Totally. Uh, anything else? Any any other negatives, positives you wanted to, to chat about with uh, uh, KOTFM? This would be a general thought, not pro nor con, but I'm hearing a lot of people say that they found DiCaprio's character, Ernest, to be conflicting in their mind. They felt conflicted about this character. Mm-hmm. I, I had no... <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, my, my, my general thing is I felt no such qualms about how to feel about this guy at all. He's a layered character, but I didn't feel conflicted by how I was supposed to feel about him in any way at all. Can I tell you what people are, I, what I think people are feeling, and, and this is what I'm talking about. I think the movie does an absolutely astounding job, and Lily Gladstone does an absolutely astounding job, of getting us to see Ernest through her eyes. Right. Mm. We, the, the empathy that we have for Ernest almost solely comes be, because we love Molly so much. And and the way that Molly gives him the grace to continue to be a terrible human being like is is just it's not only fascinating, it's it's compelling and it's conflicting that's where i think the the conflicting is coming from i don't think there's a i think anybody who watches this movie comes away going you know what ernest was a terrible human being like 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 we're all on the same page right yeah it's just there's because of the way molly sees him and also the way the movie sees him we also come and go come away going he's kind of a blank slate for whoever in his life to write on right like there's there's a matter where he's being manipulated through so much of the movie um, by these people and it's it's almost like manipulated by one side and loved by the other 
and where is the where is the real power and what is really important um and i i don't know that the movie has a clear answer on that so i think that's where the the conflicted part comes from i could be wrong but that's that's it's one of my favorite parts of the movie is processing those things is processing yeah. you know what is this movie saying about you know uh loving those who harm you or who you suspect are harming you or you know like up into the very end you feel like she wants to give him a chance to be the person she thinks he can be you know and that's why she asked him that last question exactly that's what i'm saying up into the very end yeah. um and so um i think it's part of the sadness of the movie but I also think it's it's part of the strength of the movie uh, as well. So it's definitely worth talking about, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I found him a layered character and mm-hmm. complicated, but I was just never conflicted on how I was supposed to feel about him. Right, right. It's hard to be conflicted on uh, in the way you're talking about on a character yeah. that makes some of the choices that his character makes. So, but, Ooh, great performance. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Transformative. Yeah, well, I mean, you know. I'm beginning to think Leo might be a decent actor. Yep. Could be the case. Uh, award season. What do you what do you see happening with this movie? Lily Gladstone, uh, Rodrigo Pietro. It's funny because uh, I was looking up, I'm like, man, whoever did Barbie is going to give Rodrigo Pietro a run for their money. It's Rodrigo Pietro. <laughs> he, he was the director of photography for Barbie as well. It's like, man, the... It's such a well-shot movie. So, yeah, I think that this might be his year, regardless nice. of which one he gets nominated for. Nice. Or both. Maybe he'll split Can that his happen? own votes. Why not? Actors have been nominated in, in the same category in multiple roles. Oh. Right? would have thought it. <laughs> I can't think of it ever happening, but I'm... But I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't know. Maybe maybe it hasn't I happened. Hope. Maybe I'm thinking Critics' Choice. I'm almost sure in Critics' Choice it's happened, but um, mm-hmm. but I I could be wrong. I don't think there's anything stating it can't happen. I just think usually they will campaign for you know one one or the other. One. Uh, okay, that, that makes sense. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about? after three and a half hours there better not be a post credit scene <laughs> if you haven't said everything you wanted to say yeah yeah there's kind of a pre-credit scene right like that ultimate ending that i talked about with the drone shot is oh, kind of yeah, you yeah, know yeah. it's kind it's it's the end of the movie but it feels almost like a tag uh in some ways um yeah but i really like it i think they're they're the movie the only other thing i will say about the movie and i'll finish with this it does feel like a movie that is battling itself in some parts in that it wants to be a movie from the Osage perspective, but its central characters are still the the evil white guys, right? Like it's, you know, so it's, it kind of wants to have it both way. And I think you feel it the strongest once the FBI gets involved, because then mm-hmm. you've got the good, mostly white guys against the bad white guys and the, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so there's the movie kind of feels it crossed purposes, I think, especially for the last third of the movie. Um, and I do think the movie suffers for that a little bit, but it's still, I think beautiful and about as well as Scorsese says he could have done it. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Also, it's a fun historical. I got, I learned a lot in this movie too. Yeah, I don't know. I'd Not say from fun, watching the movie, but, but also from like <laughs> afterwards. I uh, 
I was looking up, like learning about the Osage people and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it fascinating. Fits, it fits really well. I know they pepper in some Tulsa race riot stuff uh, in there yeah. as well, and it fits really well with that story. They're very similar stories from the same time of what happens in a white racist country when a minority race starts to have money and power, and it's just like, yep. nope, not not in my country. And I will be evil to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, so <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a very similar kind of thing going on. And I think the historical uh, revelation of both of those stories over the last few years has been, through pop culture, has been very important for a lot of people to start to um, wrestle with legacy and history and what the truth is um, about the sins of the country. So, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, all right, there's Killers of the Flower Moon. We'll keep going. Let's talk a little bit about the killer without the flowers or the moon. I find music a useful distraction. A focused tool. Keeps the inner voice from wandering. is purely logistical. If I'm effective, it's because of one simple fact. I don't give a After a fateful near miss, an assassin battles his employers and himself on an international manhunt he insists isn't personal. Uh, he insists... It isn't personal. Uh, this is David uh, Fincher's latest film. And if you know anything about David Fincher, uh, you know that he likes to explore the inner workings of the uh, murderer's mind, uh, whether it be Zodiac or Mind Hunter or now The Killer, uh, as well as many others. Even even you look at like Fight Club and Seven and, you know, he's, he's definitely likes or, or Dragon Tattoo. It's kind of his jam. So, uh, what did you yeah. think about the uh, the killer, Andrew? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? <sighs> Low side of okay. Mm. Andrew, we are I in was... simpatico this week. Um, I am also on the low side of okay. Uh, and it's a Fincher movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I maybe that's what it is. I had such high expectations. For yeah, because it's Fincher. There is an expectation thing that goes along with it. I, I agree. Um, but uh, but the the movie, I don't I don't think the movie is doing what the movie thinks it's doing, and I think that 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 becomes a difficult thing. Um, I'm gonna let you start on this one since I started on the last one. What are what are some of your thoughts on uh, the killer? I think that the movie is very hypocritical in its messaging of you or not messaging but in well, its tone with this character mm-hmm. okay because um, you have expound. a character who yeah you have this character who is always you know it's it's a narrative driven film like you hear him doing a voiceover for the entire film and he's always talking about being cold calculated meticulous yet everything that we're seeing from him is being driven by passion revenge you know and 
it kind of makes sense as to why he's listening to the Smiths. They're a very hypocritical band, and now you have a very hypocritical person. But uh, that's that's my biggest hangout for it. But the pros. Here's the pros. Okay, let's let's, let's think, stop. Since you st- since you started there, let, let's let's address this a little bit. I I know exactly what you're talking about. I had the exact same thought. I, however, think it's probably a positive. Like I think I think it's intentional. Like I don't think that's a mistake. I think we are. I think what Fincher is saying is this is a human being who is not. He actually is not his own self-narrative. He has a self-narrative that does not match who he actual, actually is. And then the movie is about him slowly realizing who he really is. Um, and that's why by the end, without giving anything away, he actually says the opposite. Like his last few lines are the exact opposite of his first few lines. Um, and I think it's because we're supposed to believe he is coming to terms with, you know, that, that he had a false narrative about himself. Does that make sense? It does. But for me, they never explicitly say that. No, so don't. it just they it leaves it to where it feels like it's an empty movie. Like, I don't know, like what I'm supposed to take away from this film. Yes. Now. Yes, I agree. And we can go further into that down the road as well. But go ahead with some of your positives. Positives. Fincher knows how to build tension. Mm-hmm. Like he is very patient with his scenes. He doesn't rush into the action sequences. He lives in the moments and it just works. That first sequence when they're in a uh, Paris, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just waiting in that room. I mean, that is up there with like a Tarantino, uh, the, the bunker scene in right. Inglorious Bastards. You know, he's just perfect tension building. The ranch and scene once happening. upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the ranch scene. A lot of Tarantino knows how to build tension, and I think that Fincher does as well. You can see that from all of his movies like Seven. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I think that he really knows how to build tension. Well, he's so technically proficient at using visuals, cutting, and uh, and other things. To, kind of sounds like an assassin, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, to, to be able to bring you into a place there's a there's a uh, i'll just say a mail delivery that happens in that opening scene that is the 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 most tension filled mail delivery i've i've ever seen in my life like it's <laughs> it's uh and i've seen some tension filled mail deliveries let me tell you uh yeah. but it's it's just it's really impressive how he he uses all of the tools to own the audience great directors know how to own an audience and david fincher knows how to own an audience. I think the the trick is, and I'll just say this because we've already touched on it, and then we'll go back to some other thoughts. The trick is is to own an audience for a purpose. And if you get to the mm. end of being owned and you can't figure out why they owned you, <laughs> then <laughs> then you're still you feel left, used. Then you feel used, <laughs> right? Yeah, you feel dissatisfied. You feel used, um, and that may be a little bit of what's happening here. Uh, I I will say part of the equation, um, and maybe my favorite thing about the movie. Uh, that again, I was very close to even saying I didn't like, uh, but I am going to go with, with with just okay. Uh, is the sound design? The sound design in this movie is insane. It's so cool, um, and it's so it's used so expertly to indicate things: an unbalanced mind, a uh, an earbud that's only in one ear, and so like all the music when you hear it from their POV is only on one side of the theater. You know, like it's yeah. like that kind of stuff is really interesting and cool. And 
there are these short circuiting sounds that Fincher uses throughout this movie, I think to indicate both that this, this man's, uh, brain ain't all right. And also, uh, that this man's brain is in conflict with itself. Um, and there is even towards the end, a visual, uh, like flinching that represents kind of a similar, uh, thing like a twitch, um, that happens with, with our main character. Um, we haven't even mentioned Fassbender's name. How did you think Fassbender was, uh, in this role? Yeah, I like Fassbender a lot. I think that he is one of the underrated actors in Hollywood. I think mm-hmm. that he needs to be given a lot more roles. Um, I think that he would have been the best Agent 47, like Hitman, mm. we could have gotten. Because I think that, that this was as close to a good Hitman movie as we could have gotten. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the, the character, he nailed the the cold, calculated, meticulous killer mm-hmm. i never bought into the vengeful passionate rage mm-hmm. hellbent mm-hmm. like i i know that that the movie made me want to feel that because you know he's going john wick on all these people but so that's another I, thing that catalytic moment oh, i'm sorry go ahead no I, I well i don't want to interrupt interrupt your 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 uh your stream of consciousness but i i will just say that I think the movie's intent is again that that cold calculated part is the lie and that the passion part is real. So the fact that you are that you are watching and going no the cold calculating part works for me that feels authentic but the passion part doesn't feel authentic. I think is a failure exactly. on the movie's part. Um because I don't yeah. think that's the intent. I think the intent is to reverse that. Yeah. Totally. And maybe it's the fact that the this this catalyst the reason why not not his accident i'm talking about mm-hmm. what happens to somebody else mm-hmm. yes um that sending him off on this um hell hath no fury like mm-hmm. a fassbender scorned <laughs> yeah. um like a hitman scorned like a hitman scorned exactly um that didn't do it for me it didn't do it for me because if this passionate rage filled guy is supposed to be in there and I'm supposed to believe it. You got to show me something in those moments because he's doing so well in the, for me, at least in those cold, cold calculated moments that if I were to ever see a human being on that screen, I would have been shocked because mm. yeah. I would have been like, Oh, so is that who the movie's supposed to make me think he is? I, I think the movie wants us to believe that he manages the exterior but cannot manage the interior. And that that's a difficult thing to portray. I think on an exterior basis, he is the th- he is the person who he says he is because that's acting. Acting is exterior, right? It's taking yeah. it's it's taking what is true on the inside and hiding it and making something else true on the outside or it's like convincing yourself that something that isn't true uh, on the inside is true on the inside. So then it comes out on, it's like, you know, acting theory. We can, we can talk about it in a whole bunch of different ways. But in this case, I think the exterior is what he wants. He looks cold and calculating and whatever, but internally he's realizing that's not who he is. And it's, it's kind of from the beginning, like even in the first scene, there are a couple moments uh, where he will say something like, I always wait until my heart rate is here until I do this. And then actually he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. 
And I think I think for the being movie, as cold and calculated, he makes a lot of mistakes. That, I think that's what the, I think the movie is giving us that hint right from the beginning. And and I I you know I I want to ro- love the movie for that. I want to respect the movie because I think that's interesting. Like that's an interesting idea. I just don't know that it goes anywhere that's interesting. I just don't know that by the end of it, I go, oh, I'm glad I took that journey for this reason, this reason, and this reason. I go, well, what was the point of that? <laughs> like, what am like? No, that's other- exactly it. What is the point of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and there are many people who watch movies differently than I do. There are many, many people who don't need the movie to have a point. They can watch a movie and just go, that's a story I had fun watching, right? And I'm not even just saying on a visual level. I'm saying, I'm saying wow, that's an interesting character that I just watched. It doesn't. It doesn't have to have at the end of the day a point. I am a point-based movie goer. Like it's just how I watch movies. And so if I get to the end and I go, "What am I supposed to take away from this?" That's a negative experience for me. But it's not for everybody. Some people don't need that. I was hoping that you would elude <laughs> uh, or leave this veil over me of <laughs> not understanding some dark metaphor like. Like this is some Aronofsky film, like no, Mother I don't think or something. Where I, I'm like, I, maybe maybe <laughs> somebody it? would argue differently. I don't see a metaphor here at all. I, everything here, yeah. I think, is is literal action on the on screen. The screen what you get. Story is what we're supposed to see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think this might be my least favorite Fincher film. Mm, okay. I'd have to do some looking up, but <laughs> I'm just disappointed right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's made some good ones. Um, it might it might be my least favorite. I'm trying I to watch the d- Zodiac just to get hyped up for this film. Mm, that's yeah, that's a problem right there. <laughs> Watching a good Fincher movie, yeah, expecting anything to, to live up to Zodiac. Uh, no, I know yeah. I'm on an island, but the only one probably competing with this is Seven. I don't like. I don't think Seven's all that great, but yeah, that's in my top hundred. <laughs> no, I know, I know. <laughs> You are on an island with that one, but I I also understand why you don't like that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you think... uh, No, I already forgot my train of thought for that one, so go ahead. Okay, Uh, I want to talk about a couple of the performances. (laughs) Uh, Tilda Swinton stepping in and and, uh, uh, really liked uh, that tete-a-tete, found it interesting. That was the conversation where I started to become more aware of what I think the movie was trying to do. I was kind of confused up until that conversation. I was like, oh, I think I see what's going on here. But also that conversation had a couple of moments that uh, my movie-going brain read a particular way that ended up absolutely not being anything. Um, I expected a couple things to happen that the movie had no interest in happening. And, uh, that was, uh, you know, that's on me. That's not necessarily on the movie, but it did impact kind of that scene for me, but I really enjoyed, uh, the, the expert and the killer, uh, conversation. I thought that was good. I, uh, kind of disagree with that just a little bit. Uh, I felt their, their conversation didn't lend anything. She was going on with this, this, uh, idiom or this joke about a bear and a hunter and stuff in him. At the end of it, I'm like, so what do you mean by that? Mm. It doesn't. I think I maybe like. I think I. I think I understood the metaphor there. I think I understood what she was talking about there. Is it? Correct me if I'm wrong, but okay. is it? You're looking to 
self-punishment or something like that. No, I think it's a, it's about self-contradiction. I think it's the theme of the movie. I think the idea is eventually the uh, the bear says, you're not really here for the hunting, are you? Right? Like, So that's yeah. the, the joke you're talking about. The idea yeah. is that she became aware at some point that, it, that the money that she was making wasn't actually the thing that the reason she kept coming back to it, that there was something about her that actually wanted to do the work, the disgusting, terrible work. And she's confronting him by saying, you know, maybe you need to do the same and understand. And he sees something in her that I think he envies, which is she, you know, enjoys things. She wishes, you know, she had ice cream and whiskey and like, she seems to like, he talks about being confused at her living in the city and like, how does she do? You can't do these things. So there's, there's like an envy he has with that character that I think that story Mm -hmm. brings to light what he's missing that she has, which is she has admitted to herself the true narrative of who she is, whereas he is fighting his, you know, false narrative of who he thinks he is, I I think is what's going on there. I'm kind of convincing myself to like this movie, by the way, the more I talk about it. Like, it's, it seems like a really smart movie. I just get to the end of it, and I'm just like, I just, I don't know that the journey meant anything. I don't know that the destination no. was anything interesting for me. So, yeah. If it, if by some miracle, I, I shouldn't say by some miracle, but if you do find out whatever this movie is about, please call and let me know what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if it's three in the morning. Andrew, I figured it out. Uh, let's see. Um, wanted to talk about Charles Parnell as well. Love Charles Parnell. Um, just I swear I thought it said Chris Parnell whenever his name because the <laughs> credits went by really quick. Yeah, it was yeah. like Fastbender, Killer, blah. blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like Chris Parnell. <laughs> yeah, and and Carrie O'Malley as well. Uh, the Hodges and Dolores characters I thought were were both really compelling. Um, yeah, I, I even found Arliss Howard compelling as well the actor the last you know kind of the 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 denouement of the movie um Uh, i just i i don't know i thought the performances were good that that made me mad and i'm gonna teeter on spoilers here (laughs) because now i'm the movie made me mad because of who he decided to kill and who he decided to spare Mm mm-hmm I think that's really upset me i think that's intentional i think the movie wants you to be upset about that i i do yes well, then mission accomplished, but I'm not, the movie wants me to be mad at the movie. <laughs> I don't know if it wants me, you to be mad at the movie, but it might. Uh, certainly art can uh, incite, you know, like there's, there, there are many different reasons people make movies. Um, but I, I think you're definitely supposed to. a masochist. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, We haven't done a great job at not spoiling this movie. We've talked about a lot of details. Uh, Hopefully none of it will ruin it for you. It is a pretty straightforward kind of thing that's going on here, though. So, you know, I don't feel like we're giving away any big twists or anything. Um, But, but yeah, I, I also would be curious as to your thoughts, if you loved this movie, what you took away from it. When you came to the end, not just intellectually, not just, you know, uh, you know, just watching it going, you know, the things that we've talked about and things I've talked about that I found intellectually interesting, um, but that you came away from and go, oh, here's the point that uh, impacts how I see the world, or here's the worldview that that was interesting um, to me. And, and maybe it's as simple as I'm just, I like, I don't feel like I have that 
killer button in my brain. You know what I mean? Like that's not so like I can't identify <laughs> with <laughs> this human being or any of these really? human beings. <laughs> Andrew, maybe now is where you stay silent. Uh <laughs> Okay. No, I, yeah, I don't know what the statute of limitations is on some. No, I'm joking. I'm joking, people. Uh, anything else you want to talk about the killer before we move on? No post credit scene. That is true. That is true. Um, all right, that'll finish up our discussion on uh, David Fincher's The Killer. Um, still want to see another season of Mindhunter, even after seeing this. Uh, I'm really sad that we're we're not getting another season of Mindhunter. Uh, all right, let's move into our best ever challenge. But before we do, big thank you to our amazing Pop members. Thank you for supporting what goes on here at the podcast and at the website. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash siftpop. And there are some fun bonus things you get there. You can check all that out. We have a bonus podcast uh, that you can subscribe to. You get your own feed. Lots of cool stuff. Uh, again, that's at patreon.com slash siftpop. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com prenatal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, best ever challenge as mentioned, best ever killer movies, movies with the wor- uh, a form of the word kill in the title. Um, kill, killer, killing, killers, kills. Um, Killtacular. Killtacular. Killtrocity. Yes, thank you. Yes, the uh, the the the, the Killtacular Jonathan. I, f- I forgot about that movie. Uh, that's a pretty amazing yep. one. Um, all right, we'll go number five to number one. If you have it higher, you can. Trump! Uh, so that you can talk about it when it's at its highest ranking. Uh, there are a few of these, but not necessarily a bunch that I wanted on my list. So, um, <laughs> so I only have like a handful of these, but I did manage to get five. Um, I imagine there'll be some crossover. 
Um, Andrew, why don't you go first? What's your number five? It's Kill Mockingbird. Trump! I knew it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my number. What you got? My number five is Natural Born Killers. On my uh, list of shame. Oh, interesting. Um, speaking of movies that you're not going to feel good after watching, but are technically <laughs> interesting. Uh, Natural Born Killers is one of those. And I think it should speak to the dearth of killer movies uh, that I actually have this on my list. It's not one of my favorite movies, but it is a, a very well done uh, film. And I do think uh, belongs in the conversation. So I would be interesting to hear your thoughts uh, if you ever get around to watching it. It's the Woody Harrelson movie, right? Oh, indeed it is. Uh, okay. The the Woody Harrelson movie. Um, I was trying to remember. Why can't I remember who? Yeah, Juliette Lewis. Uh, Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis. Oh, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. is uh, in there as well. Tommy Lee Jones, Tom Sizemore. It's a good cast. Um, the uh, story by uh, Quentin Tarantino, in case you didn't know that. Um, wow. And the, he didn't write the screenplay. But the story is is his, and then Oliver Stone uh, directed it. So there's a reason it's technically great, um, but again, doesn't make you feel all that good. But uh, but yeah, Got a lot going it for out. it. Absolutely. All right, what's your number four? Kill Bill Two. Nah, no, no, yep, go for it. Tell us about Kill Bill oh, Volume okay. Two. Why did you have the first Kill Bill on? We'll your find out later, list? Andrew. We'll find out. Huh? <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm not the biggest fan of the Kill Bill films, but uh, if I have to pick one i like the second one mainly because mm. at the very end you get that amazing superman speech sure from yeah, bill yeah which is just dripping with beautiful metaphors about what it means mm-hmm. kind of like what i was hoping we would get in the tilda swinton michael fassbender scene mm-hmm. sure that's what i was kind of hoping that we would get some superman uh speech here yeah but uh yeah uh i don't know why the kill bill movies don't speak to me like uh, a lot of other Tarantino movies do because I think a lot of the same stuff is going on here. Uh, but uh, they're they're very well made movies. Yeah. Yep. Um, I I have an interesting relationship to the Kill Bill movies. I'm I'm not a big fan of a lot of Quentin Tarantino's earlier work, other than Jackie Brown, which I think is um, pretty astonishing. Um, but I do have a soft spot in my in my heart for the Kill Bill movies, and I think it has to do with the humanity that Uma Thurman brings to that gory role. I think there's something about her performance of this revenge fantasy film that that locks me into an empathy that other of his movies don't feel like they have for me. Um, so, yeah, I I, I just. Took all my conversation about another movie I'll talk about later. Uh, anyways, uh, on to my number four. Um, my number four is uh, License to Kill, uh, the James Bond movie. Uh, Dalton, right? Um, it is Dalton. I I did a, a James Bond watch uh, over the last couple years uh, and caught up on all the Bond films that I had missed. I was astonished by how much I liked Dalton. I think Dalton was a Daniel Craig prototype. I think there is exactly. there there is a real interesting thing they tried to do with those movies, and I'm sad that he didn't get more. Um, and yeah. and I think License to Kill is is a good example of that. Uh, so it's it's definitely one worth watching. Benicio del Toro, yeah, a right. Quick cameo, yeah. one of his first roles, absolutely. Uh, all right, what is your number three? My number three is A Time to Kill. Mine too. Uh, we share hey! we share our number three. Go ahead, talk about nice. it. Nice. 
Um, just saw it for the first time yesterday. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious and as to your thoughts. I also saw it, uh, rewatched it uh, fairly recently. So yeah, what are some of your thoughts? Uh, thoroughly impressed. Did not expect it to be as good as it was. I thought I was going to get a run-of-the-mill court drama. Um, no, this is a very, very well-done movie. There's a scene at the very end where Michael or Michael Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson, and Matthew McConaughey are sitting in his jail cell, and McConaughey's like, "I'm the only friend you have." And then Sam Jackson's, like, "We're not friends. <laughs> we never would have hung out outside of this. Mm-hmm. I hired you because you're a white lawyer." And that whole thing at the very end, it just, oh man, this was such a good movie. I, I, I'm mad at myself for not having seen it earlier. It's definitely. I love Oliver Platt. Yeah, Oliver Platt is so great in this movie. Um, Matthew McConaughey, also really great in this movie. It's, it's what, mid 90s, like 96, something like that. Um, yep. It's incredible to me how the texture of film has changed in the last 20 years. Well, I guess coming on 30 years since then. Um, and what I mean by that is this movie plays very melodramatic now. Um, like the, 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 the way the music is used, the way the cutting is used, the way the lines are said does not feel very modern. I don't think it, it, I hesitate to say it doesn't age well because it, it, that makes it sound like it's bad. It's just so different how these stories were told in the nineties than how they would be told now. Um, and because of that, I did have rewatching it just kind of like, oh my goodness, this is like the, the subject matter is so dark and so terrible. And then for the movie to be like, yeehaw, we're the racist white guys, you know, like it's really just like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it's, it's very in your face and I think modern movies deal a lot more in the subtle and nuance and in those kind of things. And this movie is not interested in subtlety or nuance. Um, no, it's and, in your face. Yeah. For it's sure. very in your face. Having said that, I really like it. Have it at my, uh, my number, th- uh, th- uh, three here. So yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. definitely worth a watch, uh, even with, with those caveats. Um, all right. Number twos. What do you got at number two? This is where I have the killing fields. Mm, talk about it. I, I don't know that I've seen this movie. If I have, I don't remember. It's a rough it. one. Yeah, it is a rough. You would remember it because uh, we would. We were talking. Uh, you put it as your uh, buried treasure a couple weeks ago. You said that you'd never seen a war movie that didn't glorify war until right. Grave of the Fireflies. Right. Yes, I think that Grave of the Fireflies is the animated version of the Killing Fields. Mm, tonally, well, that sounds wonderful. Then uh, excited. Yes, excited exactly. To, excited to go through that eventually. Yeah. Sam Watterson's ama- amazing. Hing uh, Noir, who was, uh, he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. This movie won a whole bunch of Oscars, I think. Um, but yeah, it's about uh, Cambodia, the country of Cambodia during Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar, Cambodia was heavily like obliterated during the Vietnam War. Yeah, And it's all about the atrocities that happened over there. And it's about a journalist who's trying to you know, capture all of this Cambodia war, but then his, uh, I don't know what they're called. Uh, when you have a, a journalist that's in country that you're there to meet up with mm. a liaison, I guess it would be. Okay. Um, but the li- liaison goes missing and it's all about trying to find this guy hmm. in the middle of this war. Yeah. It's uh it sounds uh, like one I should check out Fun. at some point. So, Yeah. yeah. 
the killing fields for your number two uh my number two is kill bill volume one i i prefer volume one to, to volume two but it is uh only slightly um and i already kind of talked about why i have a place in my heart for these movies uh and um and yeah it's it's wild i i also feel like you know as much as uh, i talk about how my pacifism impacts my ability to understand violence i will take the uh samurai violence over gun violence any day because my brain processes it as um more of a uh, an art form or a cartoon or Whereas the other, and again, we're dealing with another mass shooting within the last, you know, few days in Maine, you know, gun violence in movies, just it, it's, it's, I just, I'm having a harder and harder time being entertained by it. Um, and, uh, but with something like that's swords and martial arts and those kind of things, um, it, it works a little bit better, uh, for me. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, it's an interesting contradiction to be human, but, uh, but yeah, I do think the Kill Bill movies, um, do something that a lot of the other Quentin early Quentin movies don't do for me. Aaron, you contradict yourself all you want. I won't call you out on it. (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, all right, let's do our number ones. What is your number one? I have a documentary actually Mm. for my, uh, uh, number one, the act of killing. It is about, if I can get my phone to work, sorry. I had everything written down. You're totally fine. <laughs> so The Act of Killing, it's a documentary about this Indonesian death squad. Mm-hmm. And they the leaders of it reenact mass killings. So you see like these actual like old, like 70 and 80 year old men now mm-hmm. who are reminiscing about like, oh yeah, I remember this time when we went into this village and we slaughtered everybody. But what makes this documentary fascinating is it follows these guys around and then inevitably for each of them, there comes a moment where they have a self-actualization of what they've done Mm. and they like, wait, like I'm an evil man. I've murdered millions of uh, hundreds of people. And one of these guys just breaks down and just starts vomiting because he's so like shocked with how he with like this is how people felt like this is how people felt whenever i was killing them right it's a very powerful documentary it came out 2012 i believe um very very powerful um not an easy watch though uh that is called the act of killing is that what it's called yes the right. act of killing the act of killing in at number one for andrew uh if I you've think been it, either one or was nominated to a oscar for best documentary Nice. If you've been paying attention, you know my number one. Uh, it is To Kill yep. a Mockingbird. Um, I think this movie is important. Uh, I think this movie is well done, and I think Gregory Preck is uh, uh, amazing in it. Um, so, yeah, wanted to give a, a shout-out to uh, Kill a Mockingbird, um, which I also saw recently on Broadway with uh, Jeff Daniels um, and thought that was amazing. Uh, so Yeah. I bet that was so good. It was so very good. Written by Aaron Sorkin, <clears throat> starring Jeff Daniels, right in front of yeah, me on stage. Seriously. Let's go. Um, yeah, that was that was a <laughs> that was a great experience. Uh, and the movie is good as well. And uh, again, uh, these older movies sometimes I think slip through the cracks. Nineteen sixty-two. That was a long time ago. But um, the stuff that this movie is dealing with, unfortunately, still relevant uh, in many ways. Um, so. 
Uh, yeah, check it out. To Kill a Mockingbird is my number one. Uh, I did have one honorable mention um, before we get to our honorable mentions. What did the uh, the Sif Pop gurus say over at SifPop.com? So the gurus had at number three, License to Kill. Mm-hmm. So they got some James Bond love in there. Uh, nice. Look, glad to see that. Then the first Kill Bill, volume one. Nice. And then number one was to kill a mockingbird. Well, so they had matches my list, basically. You're pretty much your list. Just gotta sneak a time Good to job. kill in there. Um I the only honorable mention I had was Dress to Kill, the De Palma movie. Um it's uh one of his early movies and De Palma's an acquired taste, and this movie is uh quite an acquired taste, but um but he is he it's like he's trying to channel Alfred Hitchcock sometimes. And it's it's so interesting to see how he chooses to tell these stories. So Dress to Kill is, is very interesting. Uh, Andrew, did you have any honorable mentions? Uh, like you said earlier, it was a very sparse list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nothing that I was really excited to shout out. Okay. Um, we could... <laughs> we had one guru, I'm not going to say who, but they said, fight me. I'm shouting out Halloween kills. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, no honorable mention for Halloween kills uh, on this podcast. <laughs> uh, sorry, unfortunately. All right. Before we finish off, Andrew, let's do some buried treasure. Uh, what's that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to make sure people know about? I'll start us off. Um, recently watched all the way through. I don't know that I'd ever really sat down and just watched this movie. Certainly not recently. Eight Men Out, 1988 uh, movie about the Black Sox scandal, um, about the guys who uh, took money to lose in the World Series. Um, oh, John Cusack, right? Yep. John Cusack, Charlie Sheen, uh, David Strathairn, D.B. Sweeney, uh, Christopher Lloyd, um, Michael Rooker, John Sayles. Uh, great cast. Really interesting story. And a little bit of nuance there. Great performances. I think this may be the best John Cusack has been. He's so good in this movie. I also really like John uh, Mahoney uh, as the coach in this movie. I think he's perfect. Lots of uh, lots of really, really great scenes. Really interesting stuff. Um, sports movie. Court movie. It's all of the above. Um, and it's really worth a watch. So that is Eight Men Out, uh, if you want to check it out. Uh, Andrew, what is your buried treasure? Well, I'm glad you said that you don't find uh, sword violence gratuitous <laughs> as opposed to gun violence because that's what my next movie is. Nice. I think I may have done this as a buried treasure before, so if I have, I apologize to everybody, but it, it's been so long that it should be for a fresh new audience then. The movie is called 13 Assassins. Basically, it's a true story. A group of assassins come together for a suicide mission to kill an evil lord. This takes place in pseudo-Japan. Uh, this lord who was terrorizing a whole bunch of villages, he was about to be uh, elected to a higher position of power to where he could do more damage to people. So 13 Ronin decided, you know what? We're going to dishonor ourselves for the sake of the people. We're going to go and try and kill this guy. And it turned out that he had an escort of over 200 people. So it's kind of like uh, 300, you know, many yeah, I was gonna say. against few. Uh, but this is uh, also like 300, a true story that is highly exaggerated. <laughs> so if you go in and you just realize that, yeah, he was assassinated, but probably not how it's portrayed in this movie. 
great acting. It is incredibly violent, so that would be uh, my only content warning for it. It is sword violence, so lots of limbs and stuff like that. Okay. This is the 2010 13 Assassins, uh, Takashi Miike uh, directing. Yes. Okay. That's him. Very cool. That Very th- good. You can watch it on Hulu. Yeah, 13 Assassins is on Hulu. 8 Men Out is on Prime if you want to check out the buried treasure from this week. Well, we did it, Andrew. We managed to do a podcast. Oh, my gosh. I'm so proud of us. We did it without murdering anyone. Uh, so well, <laughs> We left well that done. to everybody else. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out today. Well, thanks, buddy. Big thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, Phil. Much love and gratitude to our Sif Pop members for giving Ooh. monthly to make Sif Pop a real thing. Uh, that starts at three bucks a month. If you want to check it out, it's at patreon.com slash Pop. Uh, You can also connect with us by leaving a comment, a rating, or review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too. So make sure you let them uh, know about it and that listening is much easier than actually finding all the wolves in the picture. We'll be back next time with Anatomy of a Fall and uh maybe priscilla i haven't exactly decided yet a couple of awards contenders coming out this week but uh, we'll get back with you some reviews uh next time we're here bye bye this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.